The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music, charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. The Croydon De Bruyne, Eric Cantona, the joy of Ian Wright, a deep dive into the phrase in and around, and the growing scourge of set piecism. Into the football brain of Doc Brown. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 62 of the Football Clichés pod. I'm Adam Hurry and with me once again, Charlie Eccleshare. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Boy, do we have some Richard Keyes content for you today. I'm so excited. Yeah, um, yeah, pure Keyesy as well, which is really delighted about. Alongside you, for Mesut Harland Dicks this week, it's rapper, comedian, actor, broadcaster, screenwriter and author... Ben Bailey Smith, aka Doc Brown. Yes. Hello. How are we doing? Very well, thanks. And ah. I was almost going to have to dedicate the entirety of part one to just listing all the things that you do. You're like <laughs> you are like the sort of the, the cultural equivalent of a DMA RLC in my eyes. <laughs> the Luis Enrique on CM ninety seven ninety eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I'm a utility player. You know, I uh, bring something of the James Milner to the world of entertainment. I'm pretty useful in, <laughs> in lots of different positions, but. Wouldn't you wouldn't say I was the greatest in any of them, you know? <laughs> uh, but very, very reliable. Been around for a surprisingly long time, yeah. like Milner. You know, you see those uh, early appearances from him. He's like sixteen, and it's practically black and white, grainy footage. <laughs> really, like, just a couple of angles on things. That's you know, that, yeah, that's like four eighty p on YouTube. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, we've established that you are in in the most deluxe sense. A journeyman, but so I feel like it's it's been leading to this point. It's all been leading up to this. You yeah. being on the twenty second most popular football podcast in Poland. <laughs> I've never heard that stat. That's that's quite impressive, man. Oh yes, I'm very proud of that one. Yeah, Jen Dobry, by the way, to all our Polish listeners. Yes to Grafok Pojevic. Um Let's get cracking with the adjudication panel, shall we, Ben? Sure, I, I can't wait to get started. We have so many items to get through in the first part of this podcast. First of all, um, this has been this has been a slight preoccupation of mine, but not as much of a preoccupation as it has been for Martin Tyler, Charlie. This is um, well, he just I he think just, we, I know where you're going. Yeah, with this. <laughs> he, he just can't seem to shake this. Cue the clip. The Croydon De Bruyne. <laughs> the Croydon De Bruyne. There is Samuel Smith Rowe. What? AKA the Croydon De Bruyne. Oh my well, God. We are going to see 
The Croydon De Bruyne. Why does he keep calling him the Croydon De Bruyne? <laughs> like, it, it feels like it's a nickname that he's trying to push that no one yes. else is calling him. He's pushing it extremely hard. Yeah, when he came on, when uh, Smith Rowe came on the weekend, I, and he did it then. Because mm. I thought maybe someone would have had a word after that City game. <laughs> especially because the real... <laughs> Yeah, because it, it, because the real De Bruyne was there, it was kind of like, fair enough, you're really pushing this. But it became a bit of a thing. And I mm. thought someone might be like, maybe just go a little bit easy on the whole Croydon De Bruyne thing. It's not really catching on, but apparently not. Or he just overrode Also, it. I think it's a little bit... I, I mean, football has a huge is- issue with this, doesn't it? But it's a little bit disrespectful because De Bruyne's mm. like right there. Like Smith Rowe's a sick player. He could yeah. be as good as De Bruyne at any time. So it's the wrong kind of comparison. The the original would probably be the Romford Pele, right? Yeah. Um uh Ray Parler, sort of self-styled and he often called himself that. And that that sort of as annoying as it is, it it works because Pele is a legendary player, some argue the greatest player that ever lived, hmm. long since retired. And Ray Parler's Ray Parler, so it's like sort of funny. So they, they, you think they should be sort of disparate elements? Yeah. They should be as far like apart. De Bruyne's still playing. They can play against each other, so that's mm. weird. Mm. And then why can't Smith Rowe be as good as De Bruyne in a couple of years? I, it just doesn't work for me. And I think that's why he, Tyler's the only one pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, my only theory about this is that Martin Tyler has created a YouTube compilation of, of Emil Smith Rowe's sort of best first touches and has called <laughs> it the Croydon De Bruyne. Just wants to keep pushing it out there. And that's the only. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it does need to stop. I think it's run its course. I feel bad <laughs> any time that we we even question. Martin Tyler's commentary, but um, it, it just people really are picking up on it and saying, "Can he please stop doing it?" So um, I, I feel like this may be definitive moment. I hope he's listening uh, in Poland. Who knows? Moving on, we have. I mean, this this was this was perfect for this podcast, and it almost felt like an audition for the Football Clichés podcast. So if if he's ever up for coming, we can have him. This was Jermaine Genus. This was pointed out by listener Nye Beveridge, who pointed me in the direction of. Um, Genus and Guy Mowbray debating the finer points of shooting from distance during Leicester versus Manchester United at the weekend. Maguire. Henry Maguire with a pile driver. Driven wide. What did you call that? Yeah, it wasn't quite a pile driver, <laughs> was it? That definitely was not a pile driver. No, that was a dragged shot wide. <laughs> I I have to say I'm I've I'm becoming a bigger and bigger JJ fan with mm. every day that goes by. I I feel like he calls out cliche quite mm. a bit. Did He's you see him? Spiky. He on match of the day the other day. Martin Keown said a bunch of stupid shit as Martin <laughs> Keown is prone to do. No one picks him up on it, and JJ was just like, "What are you on about? That's absolute nonsense." And I was like, "Yeah, I was clapping at the screen. I was like, this is amazing." <laughs> Just calling Keon on is nonsense. Perhaps that's how punditry should be, Charlie. They should call each other out for this sort of thing, you know, within the realms of, um, you know, decency. Yeah, because that was really nice. And, and it did, it, it sounded so rare that you actually hear a commentator like I'm over being like, yeah, fair play, that was a slightly different <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah, it wrong. Yeah. yeah, whereas normally they have to say it and it just lingers there. Mm. And there's this really long, drawn out pause while everyone's thinking it of like, mm, mm. you've said totally the wrong thing there, but it's not really called out. But yeah, I thought that was like a real life, adjudication panel playing out on uh, whether it was a pile driver good to see the tentacles of the football cliches Mm. podcast are Mm. reaching the higher echelons of football broadcasting this is good this is good standards 
This this story has very much done the rounds, but I'm interested more in the fallout from it. This was um, Joe Hart on Instagram, uh, or it appeared to be Joe Hart on Instagram, after Tottenham's miserable Europa League exit at the hands of Dinamo Zagreb last week. His Instagram appeared to get very confused about the concept of the aggregate score, um, putting out a job-done message that <laughs> um, seemed to imply that Spurs hadn't, in fact, lost 3-0. They'd won 3-0. Anyway, the whole thing was an absolute shambles. But what I'm more interested in, obviously, was his swift apology the next morning. Morning, um, guys. <laughs> I feel like I need to come on and make an apology on behalf of my social media team. It's just been brought to my attention. I've literally just woke up that someone <laughs> thought that we'd won 3-0 last night. S- sloppy as, as it sounds, it's the truth. Um, most a job done. You know, that's, that's unacceptable. I'm sure it's annoyed a lot of people, and I'm sorry it's come to that. But it's obviously not come from me. I've got nothing but love for the club and support for the team, and I'm just as down <sighs> as the boys are. So apologies. Um, unfortunately, this happens. But yeah, just know it didn't come from a from any other place other than a, a typo. All right, have a great day. Wow, that's so embarrassing. Oh, painful. Skinful Where do we start with this? He hasn't got a team. Yeah, <laughs> he's already getting his excuses in. I've just woken up. Like I'm tired. I was asleep. Okay? I didn't do it. Yeah, I've yeah. just woken up. He hasn't got a team. Come on, a social I media team does. for Joe Hart. Mm. I mean, but this was the the initial reaction. Sorry, Charlie. The, the initial reaction was this: Oh, this, this this is complete bollocks. There's no way that he he wasn't responsible for this. Uh, that's out the window straight away. There's obviously no way that he would have would have done that. But it's. I mean, the first thing I want to talk about, Charlie, is. Did he really need to apologise for this? I guess yeah, an explanation was probably necessary because someone obviously needs to point out that it was wrong. But do they? I, I, well, I think we've all been there, haven't we? Where you realise you've fucked something up, and then you're then you rush. You're so sort of scared and frazzled by it, you rush out an apology text or whatever, and then you're like, "Fuck, I've got that slightly wrong." And then you're like, "Do I now need to send like another mm. like apology for the <laughs> apology?" Like he must have watched that and been like bollocks I mean like he does, to be fair he does look like he's just woken up which yeah. does add to the hilarity of it that was some big big apologising maybe he's one of those guys who gets lost in a thank you card loop you know where like <laughs> yeah, his, yeah 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 his kids get a present so he his wife gets him to write a thank you note to the parents <laughs> and then they send a thank you note for the thank you note because his kids made the thank you note and it was nicely made <laughs> and then he feels like well that's really sweet I should probably get one back over get some brownie points from the missus mm. he just caught, gets caught in an infinite loop maybe he's mm. one of those just overanalyzes and it's sad it to see team. like Joe Hart sort of you have to call it a decline right when I first became aware of Joe Hart I thought this guy is going to be something incredibly special because the first mm. time I he really in, like embellished himself on my 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 imagination was watching him in the semi-finals of the under 21s um we were playing Sweden and uh it went to penalties and he oh, was yeah. giving shit to every penalty taker yeah. in a way that you know English players never do we we're always like yeah. oh foreign players there's just that's what you get on the continent you know so you get in Europe and all of that South America or oh, South America um but it was lovely to see some dark arts from an Englishman and he yeah. was like digging at all of them every penalty taker and then um the last guy got right in his ear right in his ear and shook him he shook him and the guy took the penalty and Joe <laughs> yeah. saved it and then he came, walked back past him, took off his gloves and took the last one and flipping belted it in. I was like, yeah, like this guy's a G. It, ironically, it was then the Pirlo penalty that sort of, I think, hastened the decline mm. because he was doing all that to Pirlo and giving it the big yeah. and then Pirlo sort of too, made too it like a bit of a mark. But Joe Hart, I mean, he to me, he just has such strong uni footballer vibes. He, he and, and, <laughs> went, and like... But, 
he is the most uni footballer, professional footballer. I just so imagine him on like the Wednesday AU night, bopping around with his football tie on like mm. he owns the place, yeah. yep. permanently wearing football stash on campus, giving it out, having a protein shake in one hand. Like he's just so uni football. And and that's partly I've got that from watching Spurs games behind closed doors when he plays. He mm. does not shut up. And it's the most kind of uni, like second balls, boys, like all that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I just, I'm very fond of him as a result. Of all the layers of that apology, I think it was just the final sign-off, which was, it didn't come from any other place than a typo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just a really odd collection of words, but apology yeah. well and truly accepted, Joe. Not a typo. We've had some um, recent fun on this podcast um, about, I mean, this feel, again feels slightly unfair on commentators, but how they pronounce certain players' names has always seemed to be something of a debating point. Mm. Um, I'm going to blow both of your minds here, quite frankly. Here is legendary commentator Peter Brackley back in 1989 pronouncing a pre-Premier League Eric Cantona's name in a way that I could never have fathomed. Seriously, I, neither of you, unless you've actually seen this clip, of course, no. are possibly prepared for the way he pronounces his name. <laughs> for the Swedes, this is an unsettling time. Remember, they were thrashed 6-0 by Denmark earlier in the summer. And their misery in Malmo this week, completed by Cantona, as France at last win a match <laughs> under Michel Platini. Wow. Cantona. Cantona. That's that's like uh, Mikrowave or... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? Do you remember that? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, the, that day to day, that clip on the day to day, where it says, uh, um, and that'll be on the the news uh, at BBC uh, on BBC One at nine o'clock. Um, before that, though, tonight on BBC One, John Fashionu. <laughs> do you remember that? John Fashionu. It's just that montage of Fashionu, and when it cuts back to Chris Morris, he goes, "That's John Fashanu tonight, eight o'clock on BBC One." <laughs> I just, I. I'm trying Cantona. to kind of reverse engineer this, Charlie. I think Cantona. I think that should have been the way. I mean, I'm not saying technically correct. Cantona. I'm just saying that's a probably a cooler way of pronouncing Cantona. it all these years. Eric Cantona. Yeah, I, Eric I thought Cantona. I was preparing myself like a continent, like a sort of con, the Conte Cante thing that yeah. happened. Yeah. Cantona. You weren't Brilliant. expecting Cantona, were you? Wow, Magnificent. absolutely not. Really Peter Brackley, just hearing that voice, man. Mm. He, mm. There's something so relaxing about it. He never gets overexcited, does he? But he's not a boring commentator. He, and he's brilliantly descriptive. And he's witty. So good. You know, yeah. but yeah. hearing his voice just transports me back to, to Football Italia. Just fantastic. We talked about on this podcast before, Charlie, about how football speak has permeated political commentary. Mm. Uh, uh, over in oh, Ireland. Oh, God, is this uh, the analogy? Oh. Yeah. Oh, this is um, Ireland's Tishik Michel Martin being lambasted by Labour Party supremo mm. Alan Kelly. This is what he had to say. Michael Martin and this government have lost the dressing room of the public. It's quite <laughs> obvious to any of us in politics. Michael Martin would want to give one hell of a performance this day next week if he wants to win back the dressing room. I have never heard, I have never heard public opinion described as a dressing room before. Does it work? Are you a fan? It doesn't work at all, man. It's just... Uh... I mean, talk about mixing your metaphors. We're not we're not a dressing room. Like as 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 much as you could call a nation a, a, of of you know the public a team in terms of what they've got the same passport. Mm. Maybe you could push some analogy about us being a team. Even that's presumptuous. But to say that we're all like you know part of this intimate thing with 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 political leaders, nah, it doesn't work. 
also charlie do you think like the general public are going to get this like is it going to work it's such it's so rare that it doesn't sound so jarring and affected when politicians do this i mean there's been a bit with vaccine i think i've heard a bit of vaccinations of like you know yeah well we're getting there it's you know last last minute charge and all of this Mm. also adam nathan who's a listener to this podcast he alerted me i didn't see it but Graham Souness apparently described Newcastle as needing an extra yard of aggression. Oh, yes. You know, you know how you hear about yards of pace? Brilliant. Apparently they needed a yard of aggression. No, I liked it. I've never heard aggression quantified in that in yardage. The length of aggression. A yard of aggression. I, I mean, it's such a Soonessy thing to say. Exactly. Uh, because, because, I mean, obviously he's all about aggression and, and, and you know, an extra half yard in many of his circumstances was, was quite crucial to to whether he flew into a tackle or not. So mm. as a Soonessism, I'm quite happy with it because it's firmly filed under, I know exactly what he means and uh, and therefore right, right. I'm going to allow it. Yeah. We've got Keezy Watch to end with on part one, Charlie. It's it's a great Keezy Watch. A couple of things. Um, listener Wakas Raja out in Doha uh, sent me this and he couldn't find the clip, um, but the words perhaps are just enough. Um, this was Richard Keyes on B in Sports talking about Arsene Wenger's um, recent declarations about the future of football he said his words have resonated in all four corners of the globe does a globe have corners well it's something we say anyway nice <laughs> so keys so unbelievably keysy i really wish he could locate the footage of that but a transcript is a good enough substitute <laughs> so if if that's maybe what no eight nine out of ten on the key scale here is a ten out of tenner uh, on his latest blog which is always a must read uh, ben, this is what he had to say about the um, his his previous criticism of uh, Everton's James Rodriguez, who he predicted would kind of fade as the season went on. And uh, he has declared that that is the case. And he said, and who was right? Correct. I was. <laughs> <laughs> How much smugness can you fit into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words? <laughs> Doesn't he have previous with Everton as well when he famously went on record of saying they're going to finish above Liverpool Mm. when they went on that sort of mad trolley dash and signed about 12 players and then (laughs) Coleman was sacked within a couple of months and Liverpool reached the Champions League final that season. Mm. So I think, yeah, Everton, not as much as Newcastle, that uh, winds him up a lot. But I think, yeah, Everton, he, he, he can get a bit wound up about. Anyway, it's time, Doc Brown slash Ben Bailey Smith, for your Mesut Harland dicks. Um, please introduce your first love of football. Oh, God. I mean, I've got so many. I mean, this, this, I, I can just skirt through a, like a bunch that don't even need embellishment. You're only like, allowed three. Like a, That's like the a, format. A, a, like an intelligent <laughs> advantage played by a ref. That doesn't need any further conversation. But it is, <laughs> it's one of my smaller loves. I guess main ones, um, I really love, I love seeing a high-end manager like maybe even a legendary manager at least someone who's won a lot of trophies a big name mm. on a really shit dugout you know in a, in a cup tie <laughs> away to somebody I, there's something about that it's a bit like seeing a really big man in a in, in, in a in a tiny car or sat at a tiny desk you know there's something about it, just all their authority just, just disappears in, a, in an instant i love it so, so this is like the extension of like um Elite level players being forced to change in porter cabins ahead of like a, an FA Cup game or something like that. It's just they're, they're mm. taken out of their comfort zone. I mean, if you think about it, like Premier League dugouts are now an absurd state of affairs. Have you? I mean, the seats that they sit in yeah. are the most ridiculous seats in the world. Yeah, what they've done is they've done that thing of like we need something that a real football man can sit in. So let's get. <laughs> 
Let's let's get like a Range Rover seat, but yeah. like triple it in size, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that it's like you're sat driving an, an amazing car that's just massive. Um, you're the driver. You're a real football man at the wheel, and you've got mm. yeah these yeah. massive, massive seats, you know. Um, and that's big overlap between Top Gear and proper football men. Definitely, yes. definitely. Yes. But doesn't it blow your mind when you see like the old benches and stuff from like yeah. in old videos? Yeah. Or just like that little row of plastic mm. seats that look like the plastic seats from um, school. From canteen. school. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't be comfortable um, though. Like that's why I like Bielsa. He's just on a bucket. Like he's just like mm. fuck that. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm getting as close as I can. Uh, yeah, giving himself the the worst possible angle of the action. But I mean, who am I to question Marcelo Bielsa? But uh, an interesting point out of this is that I feel like we're seeing the death of the traditional dugout. I mean, Selhurst Park. You, mm. You're very familiar with that, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, that 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 is one of the last few surviving proper dugouts. You know, they're like a proper sort of plastic awning over the top i'm fairly sure they've still got it yeah yeah um, it's, it's still there it's still there and it and it's it, it is a dug out some of them aren't even proper dugouts anymore so you got you get you can get that great view if you if you want it you know mm. um i mean lewington just sort of runs that whole area i'm sure like yeah. they probably try and update and he's like no the magic happens here <laughs> it's just there like telling everybody in his shorts this is this is the world that i inhabit don't fucking change it but mm. Selhurst just, Park's got a few things like that that are, are, are sort of quite nice in making the opposition a little bit uncomfortable. Like I've played there a, a couple of times in charity games, and mm. the um, they've just improved the uh, the changing rooms a, a bit. They're a bit better. But the the little corridor to come out onto the pitch um, mm. from the changing room to the entrance where you actually see the players for the first time is only really wide enough for one team. It's mental. So when you st- when you're in that you know you see you often see the camera at certain games if you see it at palace you're body to body with the other person which yeah. is pretty intimidating if you're a big strong side like crystal palace <sighs> <laughs> oh we're gonna get onto that definitely <laughs> more definitely that later. Talk about that. i mean um yeah so so yeah this is an interesting one for the cliches i don't think we've ever discussed the uh, existential state of the football dugout charlie i think i think they, they footballers at least deserve a roof they don't get a roof anymore. <laughs> don't know what's going on. That is really true. That it's so evocative that uh, old school dugouts, mm. like and how sort of na- how low down they used to be, and they'd have to kind of come clambering out. And I think of like Ron Atkinson going in the wrong one and all that sort of thing. Highbridge used to be like a conservatory, didn't it? Like a <laughs> yeah, like proper yeah, yeah. sort of <laughs> yeah. plastic panelled situation. Yeah. yeah, where do those dugouts go? I bet they, they what they do is they end up in old season ticket holders gardens because they just don't know what to do. They bought them in an auction and they don't know what to do with them. So there's a rusting uh, dugout cover in somebody's garden somewhere. <laughs> um, ben, tell us about your second love of football. Oh, God. I mean, it's, it's just so hard to choose. I'm trying to think of one that, that's worth further conversation. Like, <laughs> there, they all are. I, lo- I, lo- all I love are. a goal where a player doesn't have to break his stride. But again, like I don't, okay. that's more just like a little thing. I'm trying to think of something more. I love Ian Wright. <laughs> Can we talk about <laughs> Ian Wright? Oh, yeah. Like you've gone from you've gone from a goal scored by someone who hasn't break their stride. You thought, wow, it's pr- I'm going to need something slightly bigger. You've gone to Ian Wright. I, I love Ian Wright. I, there, so there's I. something about. Like, obviously, I'm a Palace fan, so that's an obvious thing. There's no Palace fan that doesn't love Ian Wright, mm. unless they're still angry about the Arsenal transfer for some reason. In which case, they really need to move on. <laughs> um, no, I, he strikes me as. Here's what I call him. He's like the soul of the game. He's like the essence yeah. of the game. He's everything. 
So, like, I, 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 I experience football in the same way as I experience hip hop culture. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. part it's part of my whole life. Like, I can't remember a time where I didn't love it and wasn't fascinated by it. By it, didn't want to read about it. Didn't want to know yeah. all the characters involved. Didn't want to know the rules and and all of that. And Ian Wright is like he's kind of like the Wu Tang of football. You know, he's he's the essence. Right, he's he's the 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 rawness. He's the, he's he's passionate. He's unorthodox as a player. He was as a, as a person. Mm. He is, you know, um, his honesty. Like whenever he speaks, he's not the best uh, pundit in the world in breaking down what happens in football. But whenever whenever he speaks, you feel like this is exactly what he feels. Mm. You know, and and in a world where it's so overrun by cliche that. And secrecy as well, lest we forget. It is an mm. entertainment business and they, they want to keep all the characters in check. So you never hear the true stories, really. You very, very rarely see real uncut truth in football. When it happens, you know it because it's, sh- it's shocking. It feels yeah. like a different language. You remember, we all remember that Craig Bellamy interview post-match where he mm. just suddenly said, well, you know, we all know about John Terry. So mm. I, we know what mm. kind of man he is. You know, yeah. so I don't want to get into all of that. The way he said it, the bitterness of it—it it was so real. Like just uh, like sometimes that well. guy, and you could that yeah, guy. That guy. We all know about that yeah, guy. And the, the way he so good. Yeah, and you very, very, very rarely see that. And I think Ian Wright, not saying he's controversial like that, but he'll always speak out on exactly mm. how he feels, mm. even when it's quite difficult, like with race and stuff. Like he'll just put himself forward. But his passion and his love and how emotional he gets about the game is one of my. It's, it's one of the th- enduring things for me in football. Do you think? I mean, I mean, talking about his punditry style, which has come up a lot over the years. I mean, I remember he moved. I think he left the BBC to go to the IT, to go to That's ITV, right, yeah. and he complained about the fact that he was kind of presented as kind of this clown figure, mm. um, which, which we, I mean, looking back, is incredibly unfair, but. I do wonder, I mean, we, we talk a lot about punditry styles and, and, and what's good and what's bad, but I, I think he kind of lends himself better to international tournaments where it's all about moments and reaction to one game yeah. rather than kind of mm. tediously analysing a team's prospects across a 38-game season and what this result means for their title challenge and stuff like that. I feel like he's kind of above that detail and he's and he's, he's perfectly placed to kind of react to a game along with 50 other million people. Exactly. So he's he's if you pair him up with the right dude, then you've got everything that you want. So like yeah. during the early stages of lockdown when him and Alan Shearer and Gary Lineker had their sort of podcast that was a TV show as well. I got really into it because I've I've always liked that trinity like Gary sort of can undercut mm. um either of them at any time, but Shearer works really hard on telling you what's happening and why. And Ian's like the heart of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting what you say about international football because I remember World Cup 98, ITV put Ian Wright in the stands in one game. I think it might have even been the Argentina game. So him and yes. John Barnes were yes. like reacting from the crowd. And it was an yeah, interesting exactly thing right. that I'd not really seen before or since, I don't think. But um, just seeing them going mental... Hmm. Uh, and, for, and for me personally, like John Barnes was the first sort of black superhero in my life, and Ian Wright was the second, very much so. Then it was all rappers, you know, but those two really are important to me. And it's one of the other things I really love about Wright. He displays like some of the great things about being black British. Do you know what I mean? He's so 
proud to be British. He's such a patriot. You know, he would have played for England way more if we didn't have so many good strikers at the same time. You know, when mm. you think about it, that era. But he stayed such a patriot. He's so emotional about England games. And he's like... Have you ever a, met him? I've never met him, no. I've never met him. I'd, I'd love to. But yeah, he's like a good representation of black representation of black Brit, Britain. And I think when he is forced, as he often is forced to speak about race, either mm. by others or by events, and he forces himself to speak about it, I think it ha- it carries an extra amount of weight because white I think white people really feel like Ian Wright belongs to them as well. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I, I just love him on so many levels. I think one of the, the things with like sporting idols is relatability and Ian Wright is someone who when you watch the way he celebrated goals and all of that, you're just like, that's what I would do yeah. if I was playing football. Like He looked like he was living the dream. And you know some people who are involved in football, be it players or pundits, and they give the impression they kind of don't really want to be there. And you're just like, you're, you're living the dream. You're living How the are you not dream. fucking yeah. loving this? Yeah. And Ian Wright looked like he was, because as well, because he started late and you know he, he had to really go through it all, proper grassroots and everything. He just looked like he was loving every moment. And that joy he felt, you're like, yes, that's what I feel right now. And that's what I'd be doing if I was celebrating. I think Ian Wright also, I mean, on a, on a kind of footballing level, strikes me as someone, I mean, there's, there's so many strikers out there who I'd love to ask, what does it feel like to score a goal? And like, you know, what do you do in these situations? And they probably give quite boring answers but I, I reckon Ian Wright might be the most compelling interviewee mm. just to ask what does it feel like what you know when you're in a very certain situation with the ball at a certain position of the pitch what does it feel like to kind of just do that because mm. I reckon he just gives so because he scored so many different types of goals didn't he yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he is completely unorthodox in his, in his approach to play and I think partly because as Charlie rightly said he, he came in so late you know, so he hadn't been moulded like a lot of these players from like eight yeah. years old. You know, he was just doing his own thing. And, you know, we got him from non-league. And and, and uh, I think he was like, he was like 22, 23 when he was like properly breaking into the Palace team. So uh, he's always had his own style. And, and having that is really hard to, to read and, and to mm. prepare against for an mm. opposition. Yeah. You know, so you could never second guess him. And, and you look at his goals... You look at like watch a hundred best Ian Wright goals. Mm. A lot of them are quite shit, like weird, <laughs> just you know, scrambles it in or whatnot. He did score beauties, but he didn't have it would like when you think of Mark Hughes, volleys. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Or Letitier, half volleys, <laughs> you know, free kicks. Um <laughs> you, the greats all had their style, but his style was like his celebrations. It was just different yeah. every time. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. you were right to say, Charlie, as well, the 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 unabashed joy that you'd see within him uh, f- just for playing. You could tell it meant a lot to him. And if anyone has seen him breaking down when he's reunited with his uh, his old school teacher on, on the documentary oh, about him, anyone who can keep a dry eye during that or his Desert Island Discs appearance, th- th- they'll know that he is, the reason I say he's the essence of, the fo- of football is he has retained his humanity from start to finish and and beyond like that's why we all relate to him because it it just feels like he's talking from the heart and if he isn't he is the greatest actor on the planet you know Mm. (laughs) Um, that is the most marvelous description of Ian Wright I've ever heard thank you very much (laughs) Um, so we so so far we've had we've had um, managers looking very out of place in crappy dugouts (laughs) and then Ian Wright I'm really fascinated to know where you're going to hit the sweet spot with uh, with love number three like I say I don't know I haven't really this I love the game, you know, mm. 
And I don't, for some reason, I never really get interviewed about football unless it's like some niche palace thing. And I'm like, mm. let me talk about football, man. I, I, I love it. And I can't talk about it anywhere else because it feels like we were talking about with the um, political analogies. It feels yeah. like it's cutting off half the people who just don't like football, you know? Yeah. You want to mm. you, you, you talk you're universally here. about stuff, but this is <laughs> like a dream come true. So it's going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> to sh- to shut me up and I loves I was thinking well the list is endless you know like I I love Gallo's humor amongst fans you know going to different stadiums standing in different ends and seeing how different fans react to stuff I I remember mm. always liking Baggies fans because they were just like they had that proper Midlands thing of like we're shit life shit of course Baggies mm. are shit you know. Let's just try and have a good time. You know, they they were the best losers I, I remember coming across. I love a bit of gallows humour and, and, and taking that into chants as well. I like an incongruous chant. I don't know, like, we used to have a player uh, on the wing for us called Joby McEnough. Yeah. And we used to sing uh, his name. That was it, just his name to the tune of uh, Give It Up by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh, no. No, Joby Mackinough, Mackinough, Joby Mackinough, which is like, it's like a super camp song to sing with just one man's name. But I love it whenever we sang it, you know. Can I can I just say at this point, um, I'm so delighted that someone has come on here to talk about football chants and acted, actually performed a football chant properly and not half-heartedly. Thank you. No Thank worries. You. Yannick Bellassi, Yannick Bellassi, Yannick. He's clapping Yannick as well. Yannick runs down the wing for me. For right, me. That's it. Every it's time beautiful. I talk about a football chant from now on, I will do it properly. I won't <laughs> be really self-conscious about it and realise I'm doing it on a, on a football podcast by myself. <laughs> I, I'm going to do it properly. So thank you. You've opened my eyes to that. But... Um, I think that just to, just to come in on that, like that is one of the best things. When I've been to like American sport and I I was really underwhelmed by it. I just think it's like, I, there's just not, the atmosphere there is in the same way. And so much of that is the chanting you get in the Premier League. It is so good. It's so inventive. I love that back and forth when it's all, you can feel it. It's almost being written on the spot and there's a sort of piss takey one and then they'll come up with their response. That sort of answer, call and answer. It's just so good. It's so fun. Yeah, you occasionally get guys who try and start one and then three or four people join, and it's one that they're trying to push a bit, like uh, like the Croydon De Bruyne. Yeah, I quite like seeing those fall flat on their faces. What is the, criti- <laughs> yeah. what is the critical mass of people required to get a chant off its feet and going at any specific moment? I feel well, like you need it's, it's num- figures. Yeah, it's numbers and it's geography. <laughs> so, for ex- every hmm. fan will understand what I'm saying here, like from their own club. But like from a Palace perspective, you know, if it starts from, say, the far corner of the Glaciers, which is like down mm. near the family stand or the family stand, I'm not seeing that going to get, it's not going to get picked up even with 40 or 50 people. Mm. Whereas if it started from, say, the lower Holmesdale where the Fanatics are, 40 or 50 be more than enough. Because people go, oh yeah, no, this is serious. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. You know. So yeah. it's partly that confidence thing, and it's partly geography. I think within each stance, not just numbers. Can you imagine being the person who has to start a new chant for the first time? Like literally opening your mouth and uttering that chant for the first time. Can you imagine the nerves? 
the fear oh. that people around you will just go, what are you doing? I, yeah, I mean, I'd never have the balls to do it. I do it here on a podcast, <laughs> but I, I'm not, you know, hoping that you two are going to join me. I, I'd, I'd never do it. The fear of rejection is just way too strong. Yeah, you know, a, a, a thing I love about chance as well, like the enduring chance, the ones that have been around from before we were born, mm. that have antiquated language. So like, mm. um, uh, you know, and it's uh, Bristol City. Bristol City FC, they're by far the greatest team <laughs> the world has ever seen. <laughs> Charles, do you agree? <laughs> by far the greatest team. It's a little bit like saying the referee's not fit to wear the shirt. Yeah, you're not fit to wear the shirt. How exactly. dare you? Yeah, absolutely oh, right. But these things just don't evolve, do they? They just sort of stick around so that people are kind of forced to, to phrase it that way. I've just realised that um, being the, f- the guy who starts a football jump for the first time must be the same impulse. Like There must be the same resistance within your body to do it as it is being like a comedy gig and heckling a comedian. It must be like, I really want to say it, but I can't. What if everyone around me thinks I'm yeah, a dick? It's a risky or one. the comedian thinks I'm a dick? It's a risky so one, and you will exactly get heckled the same at football. Thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, you get heckled for anything at a football game, mm. standing up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Like it could be, it could be anything. If you look like someone, they love a look alike, you know. If you've got ginger oh, hair, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you know, you're Ed Sheeran. It's, it's just <laughs> always happens. So it's best just to shut up and watch the game. I find. Oh yeah, I'm very much a silent watcher. I'm, I'm a silent, fist clenched watcher of football. I refuse to, um, I refuse to engage in anything. It's all yeah. internal. On the flip side, I would love to be at a Palace game one day and for people to suddenly spot me and start chanting, chanting like, Doc Brown's a Palace fan, Doc Brown's a Palace <laughs> something like that. And just, I'd let it go for just a certain amount of time, same amount of time a manager gives on the last day when there's nothing at stake to give a wave back oh, to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd wait that same period of time, couple of rounds of the chant, Docky, give us a wave, Docky, Docky, give us a wave. <laughs> and then eventually that... I'd love that. I'd love that. I just sat alongside Susanna Reid and Neil Morrissey, who are the only other celebrity Chris Palace fans I could think of off the top of my head. Eddie is odd. You must all go together, presumably. (laughs) One manifestation of your Crystal Palace fandom, which I really, really like, is that you own a t shirt that has fresh Vince of Hilaire on it, which is the greatest pun I've ever (laughs) seen in football. Thanks. So perfect. I I created that pun. And. this company called Colt Zeros, who make that style of yeah. shirts, asked me if they could use it on a shirt. They'd make it for me. And mm. then they just started selling loads of those shirts to Palace fans <laughs> and uh, Pompey fans. So that's just thought, that's so nice and, uh, to see that phrase that I, I, I coined myself was, uh, was, yeah, lovely, lovely moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On to less lovely matters, because you <laughs> nailed these down pretty quickly as far as I could see. Tell us about your three hates of football. Okay. Um, I, I texted these to you when you texted me and I don't remember them all but I definitely remember getting right back at you and saying fucking in and around like yes. but I, then I thought that's probably been discussed a million times on this no point. we I, haven't gone into really? it really no that's mad got a lot okay so got at a lot some stage and I'm sure you guys will know better than me but I'm feeling like 10 maybe 10 years ago it, it mm. became prevalent and it in a legitimate way, I'd say, because I think it was mainly related to the league table, 
right? So mm. you could legitimately say you want your team or you think this team should be in or or around the the top four or yeah. the big six or the top ten. You know, mm. that's legitimate. You want your team to be in or around there uh, come, come the business end of the season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fine. But somehow it's mutated over the years to where we're at now in this shit show in 2021 where you can say in and around anything. First of all, it's gone from or to and, right? So you're <laughs> in and around. Yes. So you're both. Okay, so yeah. you're... You want to be in and around. So wait, so you, do you want to be in the top four or fucking around it? Do you want to be in it or around it? Where do you want to be? It's in it's or around, important. not in and around. So it's the and thing annoys me. And then yeah. it, what really irritates me is now it's everything. It's related to everything. So a man, a human man, can be in and around another human man. So you're here, obviously, we all know who the, the in and around God is, right? Andy Townsend. But it's Absolutely. it's spread. It's spread from from Andy. Andy's like the the god of it. Um, but you know, it's like uh, yeah, and that's where he loves to play. You know, he's he's in he's getting in and around the centre backs there. Or you know, he he's, he wants to be in and around. He's mark he's man marking him. He wants to be in and around him all game. What? Mm. And, and it's just everything, everything in and around the six yard box, in and around, in and around, in and around, in and around, in and around. It's it's like Tourette's now. It's it has no meaning. I mean, it's 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 such a perfect combination of uh, of phenomenon here because you have a very innocuous phrase that's just thrown in and isn't really meant to kind of direct a point, and it's also something that irritates so many people. Like people get really annoyed about this. Oh, it does my nut. I mean, we've established that it was Andy Townsend, and this is this is a phenomenon that's been recognised for quite a long years. This is from 2014. This is Goldie Looking Chain's kind of unofficial World Cup anthem. This is the Andy Townsend rap. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me explain the situation. A problem that's affecting the entire nation. It's not national debt or nuclear threat. It's almost as bad and it's getting me upset. The World Cup only comes round every four years. And one man always leaves me in tears. His name's Andy Townsend and it's such a shame. I'm not even sure he's watching the same game. In and around and he hit that too well. What the fuck are you talking about, you massive bell? <laughs> oh, it feels a bit, a bit harsh, isn't it? It's quite a terrible rap, that. I mean, he can't really rap, can <laughs> I he? didn't think you'd appreciate it. Um, but the point he's making is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's justified. You know, it's easy to get on Andy Townsend. But I just think the targets are way more widespread now. Everyone does it. And they don't even know. It's like time and time again. They just feel like they have to say it. Like, I'm a pundit now. Alan Hansen was the time and time again, man. But since oh, absolutely. since Hansen, yeah. you know, yeah. every pundit who who who's, you know, trying to make a point about things that have happened continuously during the game. They go, and again, look, time and time again. And and look here, and here, and here, time and time again. And it's just like and it happened time and time yeah. again. Yeah. Only Hansen could drop it and make it sound like it was, oh man, that's so embarrassing that they did that time and t- I can't believe they did that time and time again. Charlie we, we we have gone down this rabbit hole, so let's continue. So let's nail this down. I mean, Ben has laid the, gr- the foundations here for what is acceptable and not acceptable with this phrase. So where are you Where are you justifying its use then? What, within and around? Yeah, it's yeah. a hard one because now I would, avo- I would just avoid it. I try and avoid it completely because, as mm. Ben says, it has been devalued to be meaningless. I mean, Do you it's use it that, in uh, elsewhere in 20- life? Do you use it? 
like outside of football i would try i would try <laughs> really really hard not to but you often hear it i mean people will use it like, yeah i'll be in and around six i'll meet you in and around six yeah it's funny that 2014 because i remember the nadir in my mind of in and around was the fa cup final of that year of 2014 and i think he said they need to get in and around arteta's legs <laughs> meaning the whole players needed to sort of get close to him they need to get in and around arteta's legs it was so weird it, just like that image of like players like getting into his legs or around them <laughs> yeah, um, just wriggling around yeah them. I don't yeah exactly just like a sea of hull players on him and that's the point where it passes beyond the threshold of well yeah it kind of works you know what they mean so I mean our listeners yeah, are very yeah. very aggravated about this so here here are a list of the most egregious uses of in and around Charlie Harris um, Andy Townsend once again saying Nick Pope should perhaps have done better with Azpilicueta's strike because he was in and around his arms wow which I mean, I suppose logically kind of correct. I mean, you could be within within the span of his arms. I don't know. I mean, that's that's perhaps towards the milder end of the spectrum. If you Patrick were wrestling, Carter, maybe. If you were wrestling, yeah, you could be maybe. In and yeah, maybe. Someone's yeah, arms. sort of within the grasp yeah. or something. Patrick Carter says, "I dispute the use of in and around the top four. In and around must be a geographical reality, i.e., in and around the box." though I will make an exception for academy prospects only to be in and around the first team. So he's laying it down. See, I, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I, I mean, I agree to a point, but I think the league table it, it was one of the earliest uh, uh, culprits Agreed. because you could be Agreed. in or around that top four. And that made sense to me, you know, to be mm. near it is good. You know, fifth, sixth Europa places. And if you're mm. a team like, say, a Palace your palaces, you know, uh, your Stoke cities, <laughs> top, top 10. To be in an, in or around the top 10 would, would, be, would be great. So I've got three, frankly, incredible examples here to round this off. Great. First of all, Rob writes in and says, during the Tottenham uh, versus Marine FA Cup game, he said that Dion Dublin congratulated all the fans in and around the world for buying virtual <laughs> tickets. That's next level, <laughs> in and around the world. Anyone on the planet or <laughs> Also in it. the orbit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the guy in the International Mate. Space Station bought a virtual ticket for Tottenham Marine, which makes the phrase fine and correct. Only Dion Dublin knows. We'll have to ask. Dion him. Dublin is an interstellar thinker, and you, I've <laughs> always got that from him. You know, I've always got that sense that there's a lot more to Dublin than meets the eye. Yeah, he had a Christmas record so. once, didn't he, Dion Dublin? Yeah, with his with his uh, patented instrument, the doob. Quality. Um, anyway. Second of the three uses. Here we go. Tom Hancock says, Frank Sinclair once said on Sky Sports News that Thiago Silva has got young legs in and around him. And I think this genre is now cancelled. I don't even know where... I don't even know where... I have no image in my head of what he means. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> young legs in and around him. Uh, um, he got sent off a lot, yeah. didn't he, Frank Frank Sinclair? Yes. Despite, yes. despite those uh, young legs Very being in and around Very much in and around him. own goals throughout yeah. his career as well. Yeah. Um, but this... This, to me, is the ultimate example. Um, Joey Barton, back in 2014, went on a something of a Twitter rant about um, about uh, Islam, I think it was. Oh, perfect. And uh, he rounded off all of his, this tirade with the following opinion. If God does exist, then he has to have allowed this to happen, which makes him, well, a bit of a c- really. Hashtag fuck organised religion. And he had a lot of blowback wow. about this, unsurprisingly. So he issued the following apology. No. Please prepare yourself. <laughs> I shouldn't have used foul language in and around religion before, but I was angry at what I'd seen. Apologies if I offended anyone. In and around a religion. 
Wow. <laughs> In and around religion. So he, just, he sort of snapped. It's because he's making an apology of which footballers always have to do at some point in their career. He just snapped back mm. into football thinking. In and around religion. To have like in and around you related to the globe and and the solar system and God and organized religion is just next level, man. That's that's an amazing incredible finds. use of it. And I mean, and it could only have come from a footballer. Moving on to your second um, hate about football, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a gentle prod of a reminder here. Yes, it's to do with the ages of players. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, Adam. Like, I mean. For a sport that is obsessed, yeah, with numbers. I mean, that's that's a huge part of the game, right? The number of goals, yeah, yeah. the uh, trof- number of trophies or cards, stats of all kind, right? The spe- the specific spe- specificity, specificity. However, yeah. you say that word, <laughs> the specificness <laughs> of numbers <laughs> in football is is everything, right? And yet, yeah. when Pundits or commentators or former pros are engaged to talk about specific numbers, they stop being specific. So mm. if you're describing someone's height or someone's age, you'll see a lot of this. You know, I mean, what is he, 23, 24, 25 now? <laughs> I think you have to have three. You have to, you have to you have three. Have it's three. like a multiple choice If quiz. you go over three, it's ridiculous. Go for the middle but one. Like go for heights as well, you know, he's a big lad. He's what, 6'1", 6'2", 6'3". You know, he's, <laughs> he's only one age and he's only one height. And the only way you could justify the 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", thing is if he's a youth player. He's 15. Yeah. So he's yeah. going through a growth spurt. You've seen him three times yeah, in over real the past time, year and a half. And you're like, I know the kid. I've been to the training ground. He's like six one, six two, six three. Can't keep up. Still growing. Fine, but that's very rarely the case. These guys, like, I don't know what it is. Again, it's like a, it's like in and around. It's like a Tourette's thing. You just can't say a single age. You can't say a single it's year. It's so true. I mean, that's like oh four, oh five, oh six. You know, yeah. was it? No, they. You know, they only won the Champions League in one of those years. It's important. <laughs> I, I, I want to mount a slight defence here. We, we have to have the other side of it. Um, should pundits have a um, encyclopedic knowledge of how old every footballer is and how tall they are? So I don't know. I think sometimes as well. I think it comes from a place of their. They, they're just talking about like an ideal. So mm. they're like you know, it's almost like he's in the twenty-three to twenty-five bracket, which is a kind right. of you know peak age or something like that. So I don't know if that's part of it. But yeah, I think sometimes as well, it's just if you if you doubt yourself, you know, we all do it where you're talking about something and you're like, 21, wait a minute, he may be a bit older. He might How also be younger. So two, three, yeah, four? In and around four? <laughs> just, so you think it's part, partly a fear of getting it wrong as yeah, well, maybe? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. Just a way of slightly hedging it. You ever see any photos of the great John Motson's, uh like prep sheets? You ever seen any of that? Mm-hmm. It's incredible, mm-hmm. you know, the detail yeah, that yeah, he yeah. had on every player. We all sort of think of Motti as a bit like, this <laughs> is like a bit of a mad old guy. Like, mm. and, and in his final couple of years, he was a bit like, what? <laughs> yes! Oh, oof! Oh, that's in! That's in! You know, but actually his knowledge, if you ever listen to him on the Monday Night Club, he was encyclopedic and his preparation was unreal. So he he would never give you a 24, 25, 26. No, He'd know the dude's birthday. He'd know what he got. He wouldn't just be, oh, like, what a great birthday present it was for him scoring a goal. He would have known what he actually got for his birthday, let alone the present of scoring a goal. 
But I, I think the 24, 25, 26 is more the preserve of the co-com. I'd expect the, the main commentator to get that. Right, he would okay, have so it. it's He'd a different expectation. Yeah, I think it's a slight more of a co-com. Yeah, he's, you know, he's what now? He's 23, 24, 25? Yeah, you've got to say you know, he's what, he's come, so it's yeah. not like you're giving the definitive. So you, there's room for error. Exactly, you can't yeah. You criticised, you know. If, that's if, if only if only people like Karen Carney could have the same luxury that all these men have. But that's another yeah. point. Um, so it's interesting then. Do the pros who get interviewed, who use exactly the same language as the pundits, are they sort of soaking that up from watching football on television? Completely, completely. I mean, it, it's it's like a kind of media training by osmosis it's 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 the most safe comfortable way to talk about football that everyone essentially tolerates unlike a few of us and um <laughs> and and, and it, yeah, it forms and that's how when they move into punditry they, they talk in the same way i'm convinced of that and mm. it's not a bad thing i mean it's, it's not offensive it's it's not the best way of talking about football but it's the way that they know and it is and, the, it uh, is the which language is why i kind of accept yeah. it yeah, and I think that's why going back to the earlier thing we were chatting about, that's why when you suddenly see raw, uncut emotion or truth, mm. yeah. it stands out like such a sore thumb. It's it's yeah. incredible. Well, like James Madison gave an interview recently that was just a bit more open. Yeah, and he expressive. was good. He was good. I thought, and it yeah. massively stood out. It was yeah, like he's really not did. just talking completely in platitudes. Mm. Yeah, it was a bit strange. And um, I mean, there is a <laughs> counterpoint to the. Um, what is he, 23, 24, 25? Which is, um, when you've got a player who's really conspicuously young and good, mm. the pundit will say, well, it's easy to forget. He's, he's still only 18. It's, yeah. it's easy to forget. So, I mean, so it's almost like they're nailing it down. So I, I, sometimes we forget how old they are. Right, but right. In this Make, particular case. Get your case, excuses in early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it also reminds me of a um, related phenomenon with, with pundits. Um, when they're trying to make a point, when they're trying to make an argument, and they stage kind of a mock argument with themselves halfway through a statement. Right. I'll give you an example here. This is Paul Merson talking about Harry Kane. I personally think he's, I think he's the best centre forward in the world of football. I really do. He's the only player I know that can do that, who's got the whole package. People will go, oh, Harlan, he's 20, scores goals. That's what he brings to the party. He brings goals. He brings everything to the party. It's, um, there are two points about the, the, the mid-sentence mock argument, Ben. First of all, it's the um, you always have to start with, oh, 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 oh. Say, oh. And then secondly, they always have to oh. put on this voice. What's with the people voice say, that oh. people put on? It's like, it's like the, you know, first off, it's people say. So you, there's no specifics. Yep. So you, you've already won that argument because it's just imaginary people. And when you add the people say, oh, immediately, they're not experts. There's people who sit around the <laughs> pub table going, oh, fucking hell, he's the fucking best player I've ever seen. So you immediately I cut them down. That's So I said, yeah. I turned and I said to them, no, no, Harry Kane yeah. is bringing more to this party than Haaland. You know, uh, and it's just, it's just a mad comparison. But uh, mm. it, it, in, in the opposite way of going, he's what, 21, 22, 23, you're sort <laughs> of going, no, this one I am an authority on over yeah. all these imaginary idiots. Yeah. Mm. All these people that didn't say this absolutely absurd yeah. thing, well, yeah. I disagree yeah. with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Charlie, he did it again at the weekend, and not not to pick on Paul Merson, it's just something that he does quite a lot. Um, he was talking about Newcastle, which is always a bit of a minefield for someone who doesn't really know the, the club and the fan base, you know, you know, inherently well. And he, he, he trotted out the usual, oh, Newcastle fans are always saying, oh, you know, we should be up there in the top two, three, four. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I can imagine just Newcastle fans sitting there going, oh, I don't want to give this any any more time. There's such a stereotype about Geordie's. Yeah, such a good example of that, which a Newcastle, an actual Newcastle fan said to me, is that there's always a thing of like, 
you know, Newcastle fans, they, they love a Geordie manager. They, what they want is a Geordie manager. I was speaking to him, he was like, that's just not, that is such a kind of imagined, yeah. like, that they that they, they should be happy with Steve Bruce. You know, they've been clamouring for a Geordie manager all this time, and now they're complaining about Steve Bruce. It's no, like, they did, they wanted Benitez to stay. Simple as. They want a good manager. Yeah. This, this image of people have, I mean, or, or claim to have, of Newcastle fans waking up in the morning going, oh, I just, I love number nines, I love a Geordie manager, and all I want to do today is finish in the top four. That's all I want. <laughs> um, it just, I, I feel, no set of fans are belittled. Yeah, and because they've got this unwanted record of not having won a trophy since, like, the 50s, and they're a one-club uh, city, you know, like, you, you get this thing of, like, it's a religion up there. It's a religion up there. And I, I always remember, like, I used to gig a lot with Chris Ramsey, a mm. famous Geordie comedian, and um, he used Not to say to me, Not the former QPR like, manager. <laughs> we used to, like, you know, obviously there'd be a lot of football chat backstage, and there'd always be someone who'd go, oh, your lot on the weekend. He doesn't watch football. He's got no interest in football whatsoever, mm. but just having that accent, it's, like, unbelievable that he's not like on his knees, yeah, yeah, like yeah. worshiping St. James's Park every day. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's all a myth. It's all stereotype, but that, that we'll get into more of that with the, with, with the last pet hate, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a final point on that, I just think any, anybody, I think we should just introduce a blanket ban on people talking about Newcastle fans on their behalf. Yeah. I think I think that would be a really good mm-hmm. step forward for the coverage of football. So let's leave it at that. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. We've got so much to talk about with this final point. So uh, let's let's squeeze every ounce of uh, insight out of it that we can. Tell us about your... Well, yeah, just tell us. Well, this became a debate on WhatsApp. Not a debate as such with, with you, Adam. But like mm-hmm. as, as I was typing to you, I started getting quite heated with myself yeah. in a way. Because the more I typed, the more I thought... Actually, this is deeper than just one little thing. So this last hate is kind of like uncovering what I see as a, a almost like a form of racism within the game, right? <laughs> okay, and hear me out. I'm not talking about yeah. Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about black and white or anything like to do with actual race. I'm talking about isms, basically. I believe that since the formation of the Premier League as we know it in the early 90s, there's been this gradual move towards uh, elitism, right? And anyone who's not in that elite sector is sort of bunched together with the type of stereotypical observations that we just discussed with Newcastle. Um, But it happens with all teams outside of the so-called big six. Now, that just that as a phrase, I'm sure you've discussed on the show before, I have intense problems with. Because just like racism, it keeps this kind of fake fucking image of certain a certain breed that another breed doesn't have, right? Yeah. So if, for example, if, if whiteness is the, the peak, the best kind of human being you can be, and the darkest, darkest black is the worst, then whiteness in, in football is like Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea... Tottenham uh, and who's the sixth who have I forgotten Arsenal in the big six Arsenal so it's easy to forget Arsenal uh, part of that Uh, I think it was 04 the last time they scared me or anybody Um, so like outside of that big six every other team is like this kind of happy-go-lucky 
used maybe used to be a big club is everything's talked about with so much derision mm. that it, it reminds me of racism like you you look at genuine big clubs so-called big clubs that they're, they're they're clubs who have rich history and trophies although all of that is arguable as well but you know, if you were talking about that kind of thing, then you know there's Huddersfield and 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 Burnley and and uh, Preston North End, like t- teams that actually won league titles. You know, who who would never get mentioned. And I understand that they're not in the Premier League, and I know that their their, their situation is different now. But Manchester City, you don't have to be that old to remember how shit Manchester City were. Yeah, of football operates in empires. All these teams, their empires will come to an end at some point. And it will be a different team. But whilst we're in this big six era, every other club just gets lumped into these lazy stereotypes. So Newcastle just want a Geordie manager and they they just dream of being in the top four. Uh, Crystal Palace are just a a big, strong side and Selhurst Park is a a difficult place to go. I'm a (laughs) Palace fan, been one for my entire life. It's not a difficult place to go. Anyone can (laughs) get three points. If if they'd like three points, they can have it. Yeah, um, it, it is a quite hard place to get to. Though, it's a hard place to get to. Wise. That's different. Yeah, come on. Football That's terms, part of it. Football terms, it is not a difficult place to go. <laughs> you know, we constantly, if anyone talks about anything with us, it'll just be Zaha, you know, we're a one man team, or, uh, you know, our support is amazing. It isn't. Mm. There's just a small section that are very loud that don't stop singing, which is quite rare. The, the idea that there's only one thing that we can do as a smaller team and that is to feed off of set pieces or oh, it'd be so important for this them today is the thing, isn't it? set pieces would be so important for palace today will be so mm. important for them that if they can get a set piece they might be a move of chance i was just thinking who's a set piece not important for mm. you're telling me like if man city get a, a, a free kick 20 yards <laughs> out they go well we're above that like we're just, we've moved beyond that now like we're playing we're playing guardiola ball here like we, we don't need set pieces we're special it's bollocks Right, and if Palace had the money to invest in players that Man City had, they'd be able to do some of the th- amazing things that some of the amazing Man City players can do. But on their day, anyone can be anyone with football. Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. depending on who shows up and how they just d- decide to play. So equality is there. It's been uh, horribly disfigured by money of course yeah but i guess what i'm saying in terms of what our podcast here is about is the language so it's of the that. entrenching the language privilege. of privilege the language uh, the language of inequality just like in racism has helped extend some of these stereotypes about these teams I, i'm particularly fascinated though about about the focus on set pieces about about you know if if palace are going to trouble man city today then it's, it's going to have to be for that's all we could piece, do isn't it it's the only way so charlie yeah set pieces are kind of this kind of semi constructive way of 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 using a stick to beat the smaller teams in the premier league with and w- there is the kind of preoccupation with with how significant set pieces are generally it's like why are we so obsessed with them I, I feel that they don't care about them as much as say Italy or Spain I think there's also a thing of trying to make a game seem interesting so they're like you know and while it's 1-0 all they need is you know it could be it could be a set piece you know all they need is yeah. a set piece you know and a, a, as a yeah. way of saying like you know mm. all it takes is a foul 40 yards out and all of a sudden this game that looks for all the world like it's going to be won by the much bigger side could 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 still finish level <laughs> to yeah. an extent it's kind of true yeah sometimes it's kind of it a is truism, isn't it yeah. maybe that yeah maybe that's where it was born from 
could have been born quite innocently from like just the desire to deliver entertainment to the viewer exactly yeah mm. keep us interested yeah that's that's yeah. fair enough but i think it has i mean uh, i'm sure there'll be some <laughs> listeners who think what is he banging on about racism mm. like it's the racism of football <laughs> but i honestly I, as i've seen it develop i've s- seen it like you say adam being used as a stick to beat the smaller clubs with and it, and it extends from set pieces into mm. this concept of the team that's doing it they haven't got any other ideas, but the set piece will be great, corner or free kick, because they've they're a big, strong side, which is mm. another sort of like this weird compliment that isn't a compliment. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, just yeah. lumps. They're a bunch of lumps. You know, like these aren't yep. professionals who are working all day long to the best of their ability to do what they can do. It's the it's the greater quality of the bigger team nullifying mm. the great quality of the smaller team. They just can't quite play their game. You know, I mean, on the subject of set pieceism, we all start. I mean, as soon as you mention the word set piece in these realms, the the listeners get very angry about it. Richard Elkins <laughs> says, "I don't." I mean, they, they pick up on all sorts of things. Okay. But Richard Elkins says, "When a player taking the corner doesn't raise an arm or two prior <laughs> to delivery, are we supposed to take them seriously?" <laughs> <laughs> I, it's the sort of thing. It's the sort of thing, Charlie, that I do at Sunday leagues, just sort of just sarcastically. And I, I always think, do, do the other team actually think I've got something up my sleeve here? Um, I love raising two arms before taking corner. It's, it's one of my favourite things about what, playing. What I also love is when that's followed by when you hear a shout of away, yeah. as if that's like a useful. Inst- I love that instruction. It happens at the top level as well. I had that. Yeah, I had that as one of my loves, Charlie. That no matter really, yeah. what game you're watching. There will be a, a large man somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, I know. It's shouting, so good. Oi! Like that, yeah. And I, I used to always think, this is the fascinating thing about the away thing. Um, I used to always think, is that a player? <laughs> or is it like a fat guy in the front row in the stands? Maybe Who's shouting is. away every Maybe time, every game? Is. And then, of course, suddenly I had the chance to narrow it down with pandemic football. And I'm going to put this to you, Charlie. I'm not hearing away as much where I should be able to hear everything now. You, do still fi- you can still find them. And <laughs> you still find them. You can still find them. I think occasionally it's... Because I've had the exact same thought. I think sometimes it is a coach. Or maybe that's always what I assumed it was. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is more coming from spectators. But I think occasionally you do still hear it, even in behind closed doors. You know doors what football. I think it is? I think it's always Ray Lewington. I think he's just scum- <laughs> in every ground. scampering from ground to ground. In those shorts. Every the game shorts. Just to make sure that set pieces are cleared efficiently. <laughs> away! Really away! Oh, God. Away. I just love the away. idea that without that, away, without that away shout, you'd be like, I just, I don't know whether to head this ball. I don't know whether to clear it. Like, it's, yeah. uh, no one's telling me what Wait, to do. Wait, he's put two yeah. arms up. Does that mean it's going high or is it a short one? Yeah. <laughs> You're never supposed to know. That's the I point. used to try and work it out when I was a kid, honestly. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to watch it. He's put one hand up, he's put two hands up. That means a, yeah. two hands is a high one, one hand is a low one. And then short is where he, he nods with his eyebrows to someone near him and I could never make the pattern work so I don't think there is one amongst the 14,000 people who replied to my tweet earlier um, saying that they can't handle it when a corner doesn't beat the first man we're oh, not getting God. into that we're oh, not getting Jesus, into that that does my nut. no we're not getting into that it's, it's just too much um, I'll end you with this one this is from Sam he says I always feel a bit sorry for players having to run up a small hill and sometimes across a variety of services, grass, astroturf, even tarmac in some places, just to take a corner. Old Trafford and the Spurs ground are both quite bad for this. Yeah, Charlie, I'm, I'm gen- this genuinely annoys me um, from, a, from a kind of player welfare perspective, less so. Um, and secondly, just from a kind of 
ergonomic perspective, I'm watching a player take a corner at Old Trafford and just think, that looks really annoying. Mm. I know. It's the same at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well. It's not ideal for taking corners. I mean, it reminds me of like... I don't know when you're playing power league and you've got like you've got people's backpacks like not placed very well behind the goal and you're in goal and like chucking stuff away and it's like this is elite level football. Bizarre. Yeah, and also like with studs. I remember when I when I used to play Sunday league, they'd say you know be be careful on this ground or that ground, you know, on your way to the the grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Studs are not built for that, and to have to do a run up. On concrete yeah. or yeah, when when players like run off the pitch weird, and are sliding, you're like that looks really quite dangerous. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, how stadium designers one haven't accommodated for the fact that some people would like to maybe take a corner every now and then, and secondly, I mean, Martin Tyler gets really angry about this, and I, I'm I'm on board with this. Um, advertising hoardings are a genuine hazard to 100 million pound wingers flying off the pitch. I, it, it stuns me that they haven't mitigated for this. I, I don't like the, how busy they are. Like, you've got these LCD screens, you've got mm-hmm. the little dog running along, a ball that looks like a real ball. And it's <laughs> like, I felt like an old man watching that like, game's gone. What is that? You know, it, it, it must, must be distracting, mm. surely. Yeah. There the was players. one where a player passed to a billboard. Like, he was definitely <laughs> yes. confused. Renato Sanchez. Renato Sanchez, Alleged- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm using the word allegedly here as if he's going to sue me for it or something. Like <laughs> he's he's going to be livid. That, yeah, he passed, yeah. passed to a... Um, yeah, a moving advertising. No, I think I think we can all agree that advertising hoardings should be static and they should be Raynham Steel. Mm. Yeah, um, Nintendo copiers, Crown Paints, uh, ni- Street Fighter Two yeah. behind yeah. every goal. I mean, Rory Delap would be fucked now, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, you'd have to run up a hill. It'd be like doing <laughs> where does he even like the, start? Um, Eliminator on Gladiator, <laughs> <laughs> just to take a throw in. But um, but yeah, no, I I kind of I'm I'm on board with your set piecesism, if we can call it that. Um, but yeah, we've got to stick up for the, um, the, well, I don't know, the little 14, I guess is the best way. Yeah, yeah the little it, 14. Let's, let's, let's yeah. get, I mean, it's, you know, it's just all that talk of like breakaways and European leagues and extra games in other countries. Everything about the way football's going is, yeah. it just reminds me of that elitism in life where it's like, oh, look, here's the special room where the, the creme de la creme go. Oh, how much is yeah. a drink? Oh, you don't buy drinks here. All the drinks are free. You know, the food is free. We'll give you a, a little gift bag to take away with a Rolex in the gift bag. You know, it just feels like there's this elitism. It's so extreme now that what what can, if you're in the little 14, what can you hope for? And that's why mm. everybody loves a Leeds, you know, or like a Leicester, you know, the teams that have come up and just gone, no, fuck this, we're having a go. It's really hard to get that mentality across to players now because now you've got a situation where if your team if you're a big player and your team doesn't finish in the top 4 you leave you go to a team mm. that may finish in the top 4 and it's like ah oh man what is the point <laughs> do you feel like you got a lot off your, off your chest today ben a lot because like i said to you at the start i don't get to talk about football that often and it's <laughs> one of my favorite subjects and and it, it's what it's my probably my ultimate like quick male mm. bond go to do you know what I mean if I yeah. am forced into a position because I don't know for some reason you're just stuck somewhere with a man if they know anything about football you can just mate you can just go for ages and I know a little yeah. bit about every club do you know what I mean so if it doesn't matter who you support I'll have something more to say to you than most people have to say to me which is still 
after 10 years, oh, that Zaha, yeah, he's good, isn't it? It's, oh, it's difficult when he's not playing. Oh, I, I, can't imagine, I can't imagine how boring it must be to talk about Wilfred Zaha oh, to God. a fan of a, of a different team. I, I and now he's not kneeling. Imagine. He's still like, it's just, yeah. uh, you're never going to stop talking about Zaha. No, no one else can yeah. grow. He's, he's almost, beca- he's got that kind of almost Ibrahimovic, Ronaldo-esque mm. albatross style to him now. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to leave Palace for your sake. Yeah. And I, 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 I never thought I would ever say that. And and believe me, when he does leave, he's still the greatest servant to our club I've seen yeah, in sure. my lifetime. He's also the best Palace player I've ever seen with my own eyes. There's no shadow of a doubt. But for him and for us, I think it would be good if he... I'd lo- I, I want to see him succeed as well. I want to see him go to a bigger club and, and smash it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think this summer he'll be gone. On that note then, Ben, thank you so much for this. I feel like you, you've spilled your heart out yeah, there's, there's on Mesut and Dicks. And that's all we can ask. You've left it all out there. <laughs> I have left, left everything out there. out there on the podcast. I feel like I've covered every <laughs> every every blade of grass. Um, you know, uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about the game. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased to have <laughs> had the opportunity to vent. And I'm sure people will disagree and they can uh, have a go at me on Twitter at DocBreezy88. <laughs> oh, no, if there's anything, if there's one thing about this podcast, it doesn't contain any opinions whatsoever. So no one, there's nothing for anyone to complain about. It's just, uh, so that's absolutely fine. Ben, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers, Charlie. And we'll see everybody next week. The Athletic. <laughs>